Today's education world has many challenges that educators are forced to deal with on a daily basis. One of those is during professional development, all new initiatives every year that come up and are given to our teachers right before students are to come to the classroom. One of the things that is proven to show that uh, our teachers struggle with is differentiation, an education buzzword that means many things to many people. Um, but what is it to differentiate your learning and your education process? Let's find out on Noted. Welcome back to Noted, a music education podcast. I'm your host, Jameson McCafty. I'm the director of choirs at Round Rock High School in Round Rock, Texas. Uh, and uh, here we are on episode two of season two. Um, I think it's like episode eight total. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about differentiation and what that means. Um, so uh, as teachers start going back on contract and starting getting prepared for the new school year, some schools here in Texas have already started uh, with their kids or are about to start here real soon. Uh, but one of the things that is starting right now is professional development. Uh, and And for those who... Uh, are listening that are not familiar with uh, what professional development is and obviously uh, in the education world and obviously most of you are at teachers yourselves but um, it is uh, meetings and time prep time as we get ready for the school year coming off of break and when we come back from any kind of extended break there's always new initiatives and new ideas that uh, we are going to try to bring forth Round Rock ISD is no different, and uh, we have uh, have a goal this year at Round Rock ISD to um, bring in uh, or to try to help uh, students find a better sense of belonging uh, through staff survey or surveys through the community. This last year, uh, there was an overwhelming response that students did not have a sense of belonging. Uh, and did not feel a connection to the uh, the teachers and the adults on campus. Uh, and this is obviously a big problem, especially coming off of uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, students, we became very isolated. And I, for one, as a teacher, uh, definitely felt uh, the isolation. Didn't realize it until later, but the isolation is there. We put ourselves into silos, and um, then when we went back, um, so quickly, uh, we're just expected to go back to normal. Um, and so, uh, there are things that we have found that are, um, ultimately, um, still lacking about, uh, what our students, uh, services our students are getting. And so, um, one of those that, uh, Round Rock High School has found, uh, what looking at data, from uh, teacher survey, uh, t- teacher um, evaluations is uh, differentiated learning. So, uh, what is differentiated learning is one of the things that we need to be asking. Uh, and so, truly, though, it, it from a fine arts educator's perspective, fine arts teachers and especially music teachers uh, or performing arts teachers do this really, really well. Uh, it is a natural, natural progression to what we do. And so, uh, as we're developing our schedule for professional development at Round Rock High School, uh, being the fine arts department chair, I was approached and asked to, uh, present on this exact topic. And so, uh, today we're just going to kind of talk through my presentation that I gave today and I'll give over the next couple days, uh, to teachers at Round Rock High School. Again, Round Rock High School is, cent- uh, here in central Texas, uh, just north of Austin. Um, we are a campus of almost 4,000 students. Uh, we're the large, one of the largest campuses in central Texas, uh, in, in Texas in general. Um, and, uh, in a very large community. And so we have about 250 teachers on campus. And so, uh, when 80% of our student body says they don't feel a connection to the adults on campus and they have no sense of belonging, then that's a big problem. 
And um, so, or 80% of the respondents. Uh, obviously, not everyone responded, but um, I, I feel that the reason that they're not fi- finding a sense of uh, connection or a sense of belonging, some of it is classroom culture. We have some great teachers. I went to a session today about classroom culture with one of the teachers that I feel has the best, probably the best classroom culture um, on uh, our campus. Um, and, you know, we all have those, uh, hopefully, all have those bonus kids that just, they come and they won't go away uh, for good or for bad. And here we are um, trying to find ways to plug them in and make them, help them succeed. And so um, so what is differentiation? So um, if we were sitting in my classroom, so they asked me to do it because they felt feel that fine arts teachers do this really, really well, um, and, and talk about this. So, uh, in the session, um, we would start with a little movement activity. Uh, I stole this idea from, uh, at a leadership, uh, summit that, uh, I was helping, uh, lead, um, but give, getting, getting everyone up and moving. And this is going to show, uh, be an example of something, teaching them a little choreography moves. Uh, and, but this is going to help, uh, pivot to something and be an example of something they can do later. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But then go straight into the biggest question. What is differentiation? So uh, differentiation, you know, is the the oldest form of effective teaching. Um, and uh, there's a graphic and you, you can see it if you look at the in, down in the, um, the comments page of the website. Um, you'll see the graphic in the presentation I, I'm giving, um, but uh, that it's one of the most, the oldest and most effective ways of teaching. Back in the original classrooms, um, in the one schoolroom uh, classrooms or schoolhouses, uh, the teacher had to teach to all sorts of different subject matters, all sorts of different kids, age levels. There was just one teacher for the entire town. And, um, in the schoolhouse and, you know, kids were coming in and out of the classroom. Some kids might miss several weeks because they're helping at home, uh, bringing the crops or, uh, whatever it is, uh, that needed to be done at home. And so they missed part of the material. So they had to get caught up. Um, and so, uh, it, it is the oldest way of effective teaching. Uh, it's valuing and planning for diversity in heterogeneous uh, settings. Uh, it is 100% student focused, a way of thinking about teaching and learning. Um, it addresses learning, uh, and effective needs that all students have. Um, it's being flexible. Uh, it's based on, um, using whole group and small group, various forms of learning, uh, and individual tasks based on the content, but meeting the students' needs. And at the core, it is what its best practices. Um, it's necessary for the success of standards for a broad range of learners. Um, and it's as a teacher, you have to design this around the patterns of your student needs. And so, what what do you have to do uh, to 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 be able to? do this. Um, and that, that's a really, you know, good question. What are the steps to be able to differentiate? Cause as a, as a music educator, uh, who runs rehearsal, you know, I jokingly, when I was asked, I was like, okay, great. This is how you teach a differentiated class. You run rehearsal and, you know, music teachers laugh, band directors, uh, orchestra directors, choir directors, dance teachers, or uh, a theater director who's running a, a, a rehearsal, um, we all laugh because that's what it is. Um, we're, we're spinning lots of plates and always keeping them uh, balanced and spinning at all times. Um, but how do you really get down to that? Um, and so the, the keys to success that I see are you got to know your students. You have to make connections. Uh, you have to be flexible, and you have to engage the students using multiple senses. And what does that mean? I'll explain that here in a second. So um, in a perfect world, um, it, it's going to look like Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society. So uh, we're going to listen to a little audio here, and uh, 
it, it's going to help you understand. Uh, and so these videos will be linked, uh, YouTube videos will be linked down below, but listen to the audio and hear, and I'm going to kind of talk through some of these things. All right, so here we go. So Robin Williams is handing out uh, slips of paper to the students as they've gone outside of their English class. And then they go and kick a ball. He's now walked away like he's playing this in his head and is setting up something else, and they're looking at him strangely. We all have that student, right? So as he's teaching, as he's going through, he has inspired them, one, by changing their setting, by giving them something new. And with each person who he's handed these slips of paper, these quotes, these uh, lines of poetry, uh, to recite, they're doing something active. They're engaging another part of their brain. And so then he goes and adds music behind them, a soundtrack, and so they, to get them energized and and. and acting the uh, lines of poetry to effectiveness. So this is something that now I'm almost positive all these students will live forever and always remember. So, of course, this is a perfect world. And um, in a perfect world, Robin Williams is the greatest teacher ever created. And so uh, there was one another clip that I showed, um, and this is Robin Williams um, and uh, the boys uh, in a courtyard, and uh, they are walking around a courtyard. So here we go. They're now all walking in uniformity. Principal is looking from a distance and saying, looking obviously with disdain of what is going on here.
So now the boys are all walking around. They're all doing their own thing. So, uh, and obviously, if you've seen the movie Dead Poets Society, you know what happens at the end. Robin Williams has made an ultra connection. He's been able to reach into these boys' psyches, and, and uh, he's gotten the loudest and most boisterous students to speak up and reach out, and he's found a way, uh, and obviously, for spoiler alert, uh, to detrimental effect, uh, and... Um, and consequently, he loses his job. But through that, he's able to pull the the best out of uh, the meekest, the, the quietest student, and get them to speak up and talk and be a part of the uh, solution. So uh, this is a perfect world, uh, and because it's movie magic, right? Uh, these boys are all in a private school. They're all relatively the same. Uh, they're not a diverse population like we would see at Round Rock High School or, or, or you would see at some other schools across the country. Um, but this is what differentiated learning looks like. He's engaging multiple senses. He's doing different things. He's giving them feedback immediately, and he's being in a flexible classroom. Um, this is hard to do. Ultimately, it is very hard to do. Uh, so what is differentiation not? So the biggest thing is it's not tracking or grouping students into classes by ability. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. Isn't that what you do in choir or band? Absolutely. But um, at the same time, in my varsity mixed choir, which is a choir of 32, there are all kids of all sorts of different abilities. They all have different accommodations or, or needs in that class. And they are grouped by ability, just like an English one, uh, on level versus an English one pre AP or or English four AP. Uh, those are all, they're grouped by a level, but that's not what differentiation, differentiation is, right? Um, it's not, uh, incompatible with some people say it's incompatible with standards. no, um, even in an AP class that has to follow a very, very strict curriculum, you can still differentiate to get the material to the students. Um, it's not dumbing down to meet the lowest common denominator. denominator. Uh, and it's also not talking about, um, it's not teaching to just the top um, and leaving the, the uh, slower learners behind. Um, it's not something extra on top of good teaching. It's just good teaching. Um, it's not uh, for students identified with ch- learning challenges. It's not just a set of instructional strategies. It's not for the most gifted. It's not just individualized instruction. Uh, it's not an, uh, an individualized ed- educational plan for all. It's not a s- synonym for group work. It's not one size fits all. Okay, what it is, what what differentiation is not, is the easy way out. So, I have another video clip for you, because as I talk about in the presentation, uh, I speak to people through movies, uh, and uh, movie quotes and bad sports analogies. Um, My kids always make fun of me, uh, because I have another sports analogy, coaching analogy coming up around the corner uh, at any moment. Um, and so uh, they, they make fun of me and laugh at me at that. But um, I tell stories because my dad told stories and that's part of um, who I am and how I relate to things. So uh, our next our next uh, clip here is from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And for those who have seen the movie, you can just see the faces of the students here. They're just completely checked out. Blank faces. Bored to tears. Over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? 
Anyone? Anyone seen this before? The Laffer curve. Anyone know what this says? It says that at this point on the revenue curve, you will get exactly the same amount of revenue. Kids falling asleep, point. drooling on the very controversial. Does desks. Anyone know what Vice President Bush called this in 1980? Anyone? Something DOO economics. Voodoo economics. And, and, you know, the teacher's lecturing. He's not even giving the students a chance to engage. They're completely checked out. They're bored to tears. They're not even paying attention. They may be looking at him, but they're not paying attention. And he's just talking. That's what your class should never look like. Should never, ever, ever look like. Okay. So... Uh, so then let's, let's talk about what it, it is, what it means. Uh, so T-TESS uh, is our state standard, our, our uh, evaluation uh, system for te- uh, teachers here in Texas. Uh, and uh, we have lots of d- different dimensions and domains that help us uh, as uh, help an evaluator decide if we're a good teacher or not. Um, and the they, when we I remember when we went to this scale, um, it's pretty hard to be perfect. Uh, the old the old uh, appraisal scale, uh, you could get perfect scores, and in, in T tests, you're very rarely going to get a perfect score. Uh, it's more of a, a sliding scale rubric, uh, and so the right in the middle is a good teacher is proficient. So in this domain, which is dimension two point four, uh, domain two in the fourth section of domain two, uh, it's all about differentiation. It says the teacher differentiates instruction, aligning methods and techniques to diverse student needs. So a proficient student, a, a proficient teacher, a good teacher adapts lessons to address individual needs of all students. They regularly monitor the quality of student participation and performance. They provide differentiated instructional methods and content to ensure students have the appropriate, uh, the opportunity to master what is being taught. Uh, and then they recognize what students be, uh, become confused or disengaged and represent a student learning uh uh, students' uh, social and emotional needs. So that's what a proficient teacher. That's pretty good. If they are, if you're doing all those things, you're doing something right. Um, and so as we as we go forward, uh, it not, not a whole lot changes to the, the the level up, the better, the next level better uh, for which is title is accomplished. Uh, you're still adapting your lesson. You're still regulating regularly monitoring. Um, Instead of provides differentiated instruction, you're regularly providing it. So you're doing it on the regular. You're not just giving it every now and then, uh, but you're regularly doing it. And you're proactive about recognizing those student needs. That's pretty good. If you're, if you're able to anticipate what that teacher needs, then, or what that student needs, not what that teacher needs, um, then you are doing an above average job. You're doing above and beyond. Okay. Uh, one step lower uh, to developing, you're still needing a little work, and this is where a lot of teachers in the state of Texas fall. Um, you're adapting. You're adapting your student lesson. That hasn't changed. You're sometimes not just regularly monitoring. You're sometimes monitoring. So what would that look like? So I, as a choir director, I'm. I'm regularly monitoring. That's how I have to learn. We're, we're singing, and I'm monitoring what they're doing. I'm watching what they're doing. I'm moving around the classroom, and I'm seeing and giving them feedback, and I'm keeping them on task. Uh, so if you're sometimes, you're moving around the classroom, but then you, you, you go sit down at your desk, and they're going to have a reading activity. Are they all reading? You don't know. Right? So then uh, you sometimes provide differentiated instruction. So you're going, this is where I think a lot of teachers fall um, because there are days that you just can't. I mean, it's to be honest. There are days you just can't do it because you got to get caught up. It's a study day. It's or this or that. Um, uh, They had a big event the night before. Um, But ultimately, and you have to have a lecture class. But you can still differentiate that because maybe the students needed that. Maybe they needed that study day. Maybe they needed a day to not be uh, doing a bunch of different activities or whatever. Um, but 
there are days when you need that, but you just can't do it all the time, right? Uh, and then the last one, uh, sometimes recognize uh, when, what the student needs. So um, that's developing. And then um, the the bottom one, improvement needed, uh, the bottom level, um, the, it's, the, you're essentially providing a one-size-fits-all. You're being that Ferris Bueller teacher where you're just talking and you don't care what the other kids are doing, what the kids are doing. Right. And then the distinguish, which truly I think is almost impossible to, to create, you're adapting your lesson uh, to a wide variety of instructional strategies. You're doing everything. You're like the 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 Superman of teaching. Right. Uh, and you're consistently monitoring, you're not just regularly monitoring, you're consistently monitoring. You're always seeing what every kid needs and you're adapting to what they need. You're always providing that differentiated instruction. Uh, and then you're consistently uh, being proactive. You're changing before they even, you know what's going to happen before it even happens. That's, that's almost impossible, right? It sounds easy, but that's almost impossible. Listen, no, I, I appreciate it. You're welcome. But the thing, the thing is, is uh, you don't know how to play first base. Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. Hey, anything we're doing is, and we're going to teach you. So that's a scene from Moneyball, uh, and that's uh, Billy Bean, uh, played by uh, um, uh, by played by Brad Pitt, uh, and he's sitting in. Uh, uh, Mike Hatterberg's house offering him a chance to play baseball uh, for the Oakland A's. Uh, so Billy Bean, uh, he took over uh, the book Moneyball, if you haven't read it. So big, lots of stats and lots of how uh, the Oakland A's and Billy Bean changed the way of baseball. And it wasn't just Billy Bean, but he's the one that first, was one of the first general managers to change that. And the reason being is they have a very small payroll. They, they are in a small market in Oakland, California, and they have a small payroll, uh, but they have a, a owner that wants to win. If you're going to do something, why not do it to the best? And so uh, they, have to, they have to think differently when they're building their team. And so Hatterberg had played catcher, but he had nerve damage in his elbow, and he could no longer throw behind home plate to second, to second base. He couldn't play the position catcher anymore because of what his body condition was in. But the position on the field that doesn't have to move a whole lot, the ball's always going to be thrown to them. They don't have to do a whole lot of throwing across the field To is first base, right? And, and those who are baseball people uh, will say it's more to that, obviously. Um, I'm not saying it's not. But, um, and, but it takes a different mentality um, and it, you know, Billy Bean is trying to convince this kid to play for the Oakland A's by telling him, this is super easy. And he looks at, at his coach sitting right next to him and goes, you tell him it's exceptionally hard. Everything about what we're saying right here, it sounds really, really easy. We want to be that teacher in the movie that's going to stand up and have the kids stand on the desk and do all these things. And they're going to stand up and say this rah-rah speech, right? It's more than that. It's hard to do this. It's exceptionally hard. That's why teachers don't do it. It's easier to give the lecture and to rescue the kids by giving them the answer. It's hard to differentiate your learning. So what are the steps? So the first step, in my opinion is you have to get to know your students. You're like, well, MCAF, I do know my students. Do you? Do you know what their strengths and weaknesses are? Do you know what makes them tick? Have you made a true connection? Making a true connection is w w really the key here. Um, and... And what, define what a true connection is. You know um, what the student's going to, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and you know the right buttons to push at the right times to get them to do what you need them to do, right? That's what that true connection is. 
Um, but it's also, it's more than that. The student needs to feel a connection and to buy into what they are learning. If they don't buy in, they're not going to be productive. Um, I grew up uh, in high school, middle school, high school, and I didn't was not a good uh, student in English classes, ELA. Um, and the reason being is I hated poetry, and I don't read very fast. So I hated poetry for was the main thing is because uh, I was told you can interpret these poetry poems however you want. Whatever the image you're seeing and bringing out of this, that's what it is to you. And then I would give my interpretation and I'd be told I was wrong with no explanation. So I thought poetry was stupid. Um, it wasn't until I got into grad school at Texas State and uh, Dr. Joey Martin, uh, Director of Choral Activities at Texas State, um, opened my eyes to what poetry and words can mean. And then take that to the next level as a choral student, what the music then is helping the words interpret, right? So words are important, but I was turned off because a teacher told me I was wrong with no explanation, and they didn't help me to see that. Dr. Martin did. So I didn't buy in to that learning. So how do you figure this out? Well, first, you just ask questions. And, you know, some students are going to be super willing to give those answers. Some are not. Um, but you have to be direct and you have to be honest and you have to be vulnerable as well. There's sometimes a student's going to ask you a question uh, so they know where you're coming from because you're asking them questions. Be Feel free to, ask, you know, you know, you go as far as you feel comfortable, but you have to be vulnerable and open to that, right? Um, but asking questions. And some students, are, it's going to be hard to get out of them, but keep at it. Be tenacious, right? Other ways, there's games. So at the beginning of the session, uh, we have them get up and have them dance, have them teach a little show choir moves to some Big Papa. I love it when you call me Big Papa, right? Um, don't want to sing too long. Don't want to get demonetized or anything, but not that we're monetized, but I um, uh, don't want to get any red flags. But that being said, they do a little dance to it. Um, so you could do an activity like that, uh, a game, and you're monitoring them. You've taught them the game. Now you're watching them. You're seeing who's really good at who's the ones that are like, no, these are sparkle fingers, right? Or who is the one that's off in the background being like the kid in the uh, in the um, Dead Poets Society video going, I'm exercising the right not to walk, right? So you can learn who they are, what they're good at, and what they're not comfortable with, and how to push them beyond what they're comfortable with. Because really the goal is push them beyond where they're feeling comfortable. Because uh, I, I, said, I said today, uh, you know, teenagers are like gremlins. They're going to lie and beg and borrow and steal to do very little work. They want to be challenged. But ultimately, they're gremlins. They're going to push the limits. Because that's what they're designed to do. That's what humans are designed to do, to push the limits of what... So uh, one of the phrases is, meet them where they are. Well, if we keep meeting them where they are, then we'll never... We'll keep falling behind. We get, Sometimes you got to grab them, pull them, and throw them forward, right? So, um, but you can, you can only do that when you know who they are. Because some students you, you, you can throw really far and some you have to just kind of nudge. And then they'll start going in the right direction. So games, uh, different things, icebreakers, uh, test out different things. Variety, right? Uh, others is just through rubrics and data. Uh, I have lots of data spreadsheets um, that I know what my kids can and can't do. Uh, I track their data through the TBA process uh, and not just how they're doing in art and, and compared to their results, but also compared to other uh, others in the region, other schools, so they know how they're performing and they can look at it and I know how they're performing. Um, I have uh, sight reading evaluations tracking sheets, I have their end of the year evaluation, so I know what the students, all students, all 230 of them, I know what they can do and what they can't do. Um, 
And that takes time to develop those things, but you have to know those answers before you go. All right. Second step, flexibility. Billy Bean says it in, in Moneyball, adapt or die. If you're not being flexible, your lesson's going to die. Your class is going to die. Your ensemble is going to die. You have to be flexible. Uh, if you're working a rehearsal section um, for that day and it's just not working, don't keep beating your head against the wind, the wall. Uh, change. Change your approach. Try something different. Change the, change the scenery. We, at Round Rock High School, we move we the environment. We have a move around. Uh, we'll go down to sing down in the lobby. Um, after a while, they keep be- they'll beg us to go sing somewhere else um, when it's getting stale. Um, you have to, and that means you have to know the content material backwards and forwards so that you can adapt, change, anticipate, and accommodate and adjust to the needs. There's very rarely I go into a rehearsal or a meeting that I don't really know what's going to happen. There's still some rehearsals where I'm like, well, that didn't go the way I planned. But for the most part, I always know what's going to happen within a range, right? But that's also because I know what the kids can do and I developed a plan that day to meet that needs. If I have to plan, if I have to do something off the cuff, it's probably not going to go as well. I have, you have to have a plan and you have to be flexible to not just stick to the script. If it's not working, adjust, change something, go to a new section, come back. Um, do something, uh, put them in small groups, put them in sectionals, uh, say, Hey, this is not working bases, go outside or go leave the room, go to the practice room, go, go out by the trees, uh, sing through that, fix it, fix it real fast and then come back. Uh, you know, get your student leaders to, to take over, uh, always be reflecting and always be assessing. Uh, what my, one of my principals said today, he came in and watched part of the lesson. He said he, he's not talking a lot about what he's really doing, but what he's doing is he's walking around the room and he's giving that feedback immediately. That's what you got to do. You got to be flexible. You got to be direct. And the last one is you got to engage the whole of the human. Teach them with all their senses engaged. What does that mean? So uh, in choir, um, we use uh, solfege hand signs to teach music literacy. Uh, so, uh, do is a fist and, and, um, you know, the do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, uh, and they each have hand signs that go along with it. Uh, so that's equating it to a pitch. It's like a fingering chart for singing. Cause uh, you know, I always say, you know, a trumpet player, they know, or a clarinetist, they know where they put their fingers in a certain way on the horn. It's going to play that sound. It may not be perfectly in tune, but it's going to be somewhere close, right? Uh, when a violinist puts their finger on the fretboard, um, it, it's going to play somewhere in the vicinity of the pitch they're putting it on, right? How do you do that for choir? Well, you don't. You can't. Unless you have perfect pitch, congratulations. Um, you're special. Not everyone is like that. So you have to find ways to uh, equate that to pitch. So we do that with soulfish. Um, and so uh, I ask, always ask my students, if you're, you move, it, uh, move your hands up and down on a vertical scale uh, that match the, the pitch. So if you're going up, your hand's going up. If you're going down, your hand's going down. Uh, and also, they're also moving in and out on the, uh, on the x-axis, um, uh, if the, the pitch is on the y-axis, the x-axis is time. So they're pulsing their hand signs in and out, keeping a steady beat. So when you're watching an ensemble sight read together, it's a living, breathing organism that has pitches going up and down and in and out so that they can feel it all together. By doing that, by engaging not just the oral, an oral, A-U-R-A-L, uh, the, what they hear but they're also engaging the physical. They're touching the pitch. They're engaging time. They're engaging uh, sight because they're looking at it. They're hearing it. They're saying it. Their multiple senses are being used. They're more likely to retain that knowledge. In an English class, if you're reading a, a passage, if you read it out loud and then you rewrite it, you'll have it memorized, most likely. 
and then you're highlighting it, you're doing things to engage different things. So uh, I'm going to play a clip uh, here, uh, audio from uh, Bobby McFerrin. He's at a neuroscience uh, um, summit conference, and he's speaking to a uh, on stage. He's a keynote speaker with a bunch of uh, scientists and uh, neuro uh, neurobiologists uh, on the stage, and then he's talking to a room full of scientists, um, and and they're talking about the pentatonic scale, but the more important part is what he can make them do. He makes them sing pitches by dancing around on a stage. Um, and uh, so we'll listen to part of this. Regardless of where I am, anywhere, every audience gets that. But it doesn't matter, well, you know, it's just, you know, the pentatonic scale for some reason. If you're looking for a job in neuroscience... <laughs> so what, what you see here is he gives direct feedback... Um, by sh- pointing where he's standing on the stage and, and watch the video that's linked to the to the episode but uh, he to see it because it really is amazing to watch him but you stand there um, he's pointing at the stage and he gives visual visual feedback and verbal feedback with with the pitch he wants them to sing and with very little instruction they're able to accomplish that goal um, so uh, but he's engaging the whole body, the whole human. And you can do that all over the country, right? All sorts of different audiences. Um, and so um, that's how you do it. You engage the whole body because you know who they are and you can challenge them to do more. So the next thing is I show them a clip uh, of, of the Dragon Corral, our Varsity Mixed Choir uh, site read uh, for UIL. Uh, or doing a practice sight reading. Uh, so for those who don't know how the UIL sight reading evaluation for choir works is we're given a new piece uh, for the for up to 52 measures uh, in length. Um, that's a varsity, level 5, 6A varsity 
next piece would be uh, up to 52 meters. Probably won't be that much, but it could be that much. Uh, it's going to follow certain requirements and stuff, um, but it's going to be challenging. It's going to have altered syllables. It's going to uh, be through probably be through composed. Um, not a lot of cadences and conditional stuff, um, and it's going to be quite difficult. Um, and I, I'm literally probably preaching to the choir, but I know there's some others out there that are not that li- there are listeners out there that don't necessarily know what our process is. Uh, and so then uh, we move into the study period. Uh, it's the first time the students have seen it. It's the first time the director has seen it. And we have six minutes and we cannot sing. We can chant. We can discuss. Uh, but we cannot sing. What we have to train our students to do is audiate, to hear the pitch in their head. Um, we do that with the hand signs moving up and down, helps equate the brain to the pitches, that time on the x-axis, right? Um, inflecting the direction, do, do, re, mi. They're not singing pitch, but they're showing mi, re, do, so, do, mi, so, mi. They're, they're kind of giving it an inflection, so it's not just down in the droning plate spot, right? But it's able to um, give it a little bit of life, a little bit of zhuzh, right? Um, but not, no singing, no singing. Um, and uh, then we'll probably do an, part of the exercises, audiate, where they're following along and singing it in their head. Um, they give them, give them the tonic triad, do mi so mi do so do on the piano and then they audiate they hear it in their head and they're following along then at the end of the six minutes we sing the line uh in band and orchestra world this is where they stop well in the old way they they've now adjusted theirs where they do an actual rehearsal and then perform the piece um but they perform it once in choir world we got to perform it a second time um so we get another two minute study where we can't sing again no more singing um, but we get to go back and make, hey, Sopranos, watch out that la, si, la, one quite in tune. Uh, basses, mi, fi, si, la, what does it sound like? Oh, it sounds like so, la, ti, do. Make a connection. They may not know what mi, fi, si, la sounds like. But you can say, hey, do you know what so, la, so, la, ti, do sounds like? God, I hope so. Then it's the same thing, right? Um, but making those connections, then you sing it again, right? So I'll show them a video of us doing that um, through the whole process and talking through uh, what it is. Because I'm giving this presentation to a bunch of educators that are not musicians. Some of them have never done the process. Uh, one, of the, one of the teachers today uh, was, a band, was in band in high school, so didn't know how choir did it. Um, was astonished that we were able to be as successful as we were doing what we're doing. Um, and so... Um, but the key there is making, taking something they know and making it, making the unknown clear, right? That's your job is to help them see what is known, what they do know and apply it to what they don't know so that they will then know that stuff that they don't know. Uh, when I was in high school, I, uh, I took cal- the last time I took a math class was in calculus, was calculus my senior year in high school. Uh, and, uh, Dr. Teeley was our teacher, uh, and he was a former engineer and he got tired of seeing new graduates come out and not know how to teach, h- how to do simple calculus, simple things that they should know. So he decided he's going to go back he got his teacher certific- cert- certification and he came back to high school to teach calculus. And so we would have these big, massive problems. And, you know, I, I jokingly say, you know, calculus is just algebra two on steroids. And, and today a math teacher goes, you know, that's not true. I go, well, yes, I do know that. Um, but when I told the story and I said, when I got to the struggling with parts of these massive proofs and, and projects we were working on, the hardest part I always struggled with was not the, the complex stuff. I got that. That was easy. But it was how to get to that part. And I was struggling. I was trying to make it complex, and it wasn't. It was just algebra two. He's like, you know how to do this. I'm like, no, I don't. Ah. And here we are. He says, go back to this. And I felt stupid. He's like, you're not stupid. You're just trying to make it harder than it needs to be. So here's what you need to do. Take what you know. Take what the students know and help them see what they know and how it applies to what they don't know make those connections by giving them that direct feedback, by being flexible, 
by knowing where they are. You know, it's not just group projects. It's some days you're tailoring what they need. Do they need to do 50 math problems of homework to get the answer? Some may do, may. Some may do, can do it in two. But being flexible to doubt, allow for that. So then we go through a singing exercise, which we can't do here on the, on the podcast because y'all uh, aren't here, but I, it's a cool thing. But the last parting thought I want to leave with us today is uh, two clips uh, from uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, he is a uh, inspir- uh, 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 motivational speaker. Uh, he's written a great book called Infinite Game about how um, everything in life is a game. Uh, there are infinite, inf- there are finite games, there are infinite games. Finite games would be like a football game. It's got a start time, it's got a stop time, it's got a score. At the end, there's a winner and there's a loser. It's finite. Us in life, it's infinite because we're teaching to transfer to the real world. It never ends. It's just the next chapter, right? Um, and so uh, that's a great book. You should go out and find it and read it. Um, but he does a lot of stuff about being a leader. So the first first little clip here. Leadership is not a rank to be achieved. Leadership is a responsibility, and it's a responsibility to see those around us rise. There's no CEO on the planet who's responsible for the results. You're responsible for the people. You're responsible for the people. You're responsible for the people. You're responsible for the results. That's a difficult and different skill set. You're not responsible for the results. You're responsible for the people. You can't take the test for the kids. They have to do it. So you're responsible for them. And your principal is not responsible for the results. He's responsible for you. That's responsible for the kids that are responsible for the results. It's a different mindset, right? The next one, strengths and weaknesses. I think it's hilarious when people say, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Well, it depends. Life is balanced. And it's always contextual. So, for example, I am very disorganized. I am chronically disorganized. And I can remember back when I was a young entrepreneur and I went to a networking event and I met some guy and he said, Simon, you're fantastic. I want to hire you. Here's my card. Give me a call. Let's do this. And now, if I were organized, I would have texted him from the taxi or at the very minimum emailed the next day. But I lost the business card. I lost it, so no opportunity. Two weeks later, I found the business card at the bottom of a bag covered in dust bubbles, probably. And I emailed the guy. I'm like, hey, I don't know if you remember, we met two weeks ago. I'd love to get in touch with you. And he wanted to work with me even more because he thought I was busy. He thought there was so much demand for me that he wanted to work with me. So is being disorganized a, a good thing or a bad thing? The answer is it depends. I had accidental opportunity, but if somebody's relying on me for something and I screw it up because I'm disorganized, then it's a bad thing. There is no such thing as strengths and weaknesses. It's all context. And everything that we have that's a strength has liability attached, and every weakness we have has strength that's attached. That's an important thing to understand, is that um, there's pluses and minuses to everything. Uh, I, I have a great... I feel like I have a great foresight to see the big picture and to develop a plan to get you get that big picture revealed. But sometimes, because the way my brain works, I solve the problem before other people can solve the problem. And they want to be part of the solving of the problem as well because their input is valuable. So um, I solve problems. That's a plus. That's a strength. But when I don't involve others that strength has become a weakness, right? So you have to understand what your students can do so that you can challenge them in all facets of their learning. You're wanting to teach them skills that will transfer to the real world. We always say, well, I'm not going to teach calculus. I'm not going to need to use calculus in the real world. I'm not going to be an engineer. Great. Um, But the problem-solving skills that that math class is teaching is going to help you in the real world. Uh, You know, most of my students are not going to go on to be musician, professional musicians. But they can learn how to be part of a team and to create and use that creative side in what they're doing and hopefully find an outlet to sing and make music because it's good for them and they love it, right? Um, 
but transfer that through the real world. Dr. Robert Duke at University of Texas in Austin. Uh, he's the director of human music learning uh, at the school, Butler School of Music. And uh, he uh, is all about teaching to transfer. And he they did a, a study where they went to um, recent graduates of MIT and um, uh, Harvard uh, in engineering, mathematics and engineering school. And they took a battery, a wire, and a light bulb and said, they just walked the stage, walked out of the auditorium. Uh, they had their degrees in advanced engineering and mathematics and science and said, can you light up this light bulb? And the vast majority can't do it, couldn't do it. You come up, I just, I, they tried different things. They couldn't remember. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't do all these things. One, one student said, uh, well, the, I, I, I'm not an aerospace engineer. That's mechanical engineering. Um, a lot of them couldn't do it. And that's basics, right? Their teachers didn't teach them to think about the basics, to transfer to the real world what they were going to need. Well, all they had to do was take the battery, put the light bulb on one end, put the wire on the other end, other side of that light bulb, and connect, the, close the circuit, simple basic circuit, right? And it lights the light bulb up. So that's what we have to do is teach these kids to transfer to the real world. You do that by engaging all those things, all those steps, knowing the students, being flexible in your lessons, adapting to what you're doing and what you're seeing because you're constantly assessing and being reflective of that. That is what differentiation is. That is effective teaching. Just saying be smarter is not. And when you do that, you'll enter in a whole new world. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Noted. Uh, this week was a long one uh, as I talked through uh, what differentiation is. And, you know, I kind of shifted where, I, where my original plan was going to go um, with this one. Um, and just because uh, I had given this presentation, I think it's invaluable information. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you, if you did, uh, like and subscribe. Share it out to all, all the people you know. I thank you to all the listeners and viewers that, that tune in uh, and listen to me ramble and talk. Um, we have some exciting things on the horizon uh, as uh, I'm in talks to, to bring in uh, some new guests here in the near future to discuss all sorts of things from uh, small school uh, experience uh, in Texas to um, to myths and things about TMEA uh, or mis misconceptions about what what happens at the TMEA level um, to um, trip advisors or, or you know just how how to deal uh, and how to deal with mental health um, those are some exciting conversations uh, that are, I think are very very important um, but as we as we're approaching the new school year, how best to reach our students, I think, is is super, super important, uh, and so that's why we I kind of changed tactic and went to that episode, uh, went to this episode instead. Um, and so uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've learned something. Uh, we'll, we'll send links and put links in the description uh, to the video clips so you can see those videos because uh, nothing's better than listening to uh, listening to a video on an audio podcast, right? Um, but um, I hope I hope you you you're learning something. You're you're ga gaining some nuggets. Uh, anything you listen to, anything you watch or you partake in, I'll, I always try to say, take one nugget, take one. It can take more, but take get something out of it. Uh, if I'm going to a movie, uh, you know, go. I went and saw uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just the other day, um, which I didn't know anything about this new one, um, and so I, I I didn't have high expectations. But it was a great movie. It was fun because I was entertained. Um, I went and saw Oppenheimer a couple weeks ago. Amazing movie because I was entertained and I was told a story and told part of the story that I didn't know the rest of. So I went and spent countless time watching videos and reading about uh, the Manhattan Project and learning more about that. Um, always be learning. Always be reaching out. So... Um, Again, I'm Jameson McCafty, uh, and uh, I hope 
you are enjoying this journey that we are on. Uh, the episodes will be coming out semi-regularly uh, whenever I have time to record them uh, through the busy schedule uh, and can get stuff lined up. But uh, stay tuned. Uh, share it out. I hope you enjoy. And again, uh, for all those teachers going back to the classroom, good luck. And if you need anything, reach out. Your village, your people are important, and they're right here. Uh, and that will bring me to the next episode, which is will be coming out, is about who is your village um, and, and what is your team. So uh, thank you for listening. Like and subscribe uh, and follow uh, and leave a comment. And for all those out there, I'm James McAfee, and this is Noted. <laughs>